Welcome to a special edition of Corruption of Child Protective Services. I am your humble host, David Shore. Now, this is going to be hopefully an informative edition because the election is Tuesday. And, well, I'd like to bring some interesting facts up. I'd like to start off by going over what's called the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, adopted by the General Assembly of the United Nations on 19 December 1966. If you remember correctly, I had mentioned about this. There were 17 countries that did not ratify this. The countries are China, Japan, Thailand, Vietnam, Korea, Mexico, Canada, United Kingdom, United States, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Israel, Ireland, Ghana, Nigeria, Afghanistan, and the Philippines. Now, why is this so important for CPS? Okay, well, I'm going to read you the reason. And it is their, I would say, preamble. And it says, the state parties to the present covenant, considering that in accordance with the principles proclaimed in the Charter of the United Nations, recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. This is back in 1966. Now, Article 17, Paragraph 1 reads, No one shall be subjected to arbitrary or unlawful interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence, nor to unlawful attacks on his honor and reputation. Paragraph 2 reads, Everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks. Now, CPS has been doing just that. This election in the United States and around the world, why is this so important? Because we are finally speaking out against this. It's taken us 419 years to do it. But I believe very strongly that 2020 is the year that we, as a whole, united as one, have said we have had it. This is it. We are holding our politicians accountable. But then again, are they going to listen? Well, after this year, maybe we should, every day, flood their emails. Whoever it is 
that gets in each office, including the presidency. It doesn't matter if you're voting for Joe Biden. It does not matter if you're voting for Donald Trump. But I'm going to give you child welfare statistics. Hopefully this will help. Now, this is from the FamilyPreservationFoundation.org. Their child welfare statistics reads as follows. 437,283 American children were removed from their parents last year. I believe they're talking 2019. Federal reports state 9 plus million children have been forcibly separated from their parents in the last 20 years. Let me read that again. Federal reports state 9 plus million children have been forcibly separated from their parents in the last 20 years. Your child is next unless we stop it now. Our children are priceless. Now, Family Preservation Foundation states, help us fight for parental and children's rights, undeniable freedoms, core American values, and family-first beliefs. In December of 2019, the Minnesota Department of Human Services reported that 16,488 children were in foster care. We believe a large number of these children were removed from their families and traumatized based upon unconstitutional statutes and unacceptable judicial practices by the counties and their agencies. For decades, Minnesota, along with other states, have been unnecessarily separating families and traumatizing American children based purely on allegations with no supporting evidence. Minnesota is the number one state in the nation in American Indian child removals and has significant racial disparities. I will read that again. Minnesota is the number one state in the nation in American Indian child removals and has significant racial disparities. Yes, I just said Indian, Native American. Now, obviously they did not know about Indiana adopting out 2,489 children. But we'll continue. Compared to white children, based on child population estimates. American Indian children were 18.2 times more likely to experience care. Children identified as two or more races were 5.1 times more likely to experience care. 59.7% identified at least one race as African American slash black and 56.2% identified at least one race as American Indian. What they're talking about is foster care. African American children were over 2.9 times more likely to experience care or removed from the home. Isn't that real nice? And how much money are they going to get from these children? Well, 
Like I said, they're a commodity like anything else. And that is how they are treated. They're not uh, treated as human. They're treated as a commodity. It can be bought and sold. At last reported in August 2019. 437,238 children nationally were removed from their families and placed in foster homes according to the federal government's adoption and foster care analysis and reporting system. This traumatization of U.S. children has reached epidemic proportions. According to a 10-year study by the American Public Health Association, an alarming estimate that 37.4% of all children experience a Child Protective Services investigation by age 18 years. That results in 27.7 million children investigated based upon the current U.S. population census of approximately 75 million children under age 18 or 49 million parents being investigated according to the latest 2019 U.S. Census Bureau findings. In other words, you are 27.7, actually 37.4% more likely to have CPS investigating you. What's even more alarming is that a staggering 84% of all child removals are not related to any physical harm to the child whatsoever, as reported by to the U.S. Congress in the AFCARS report above. Furthermore, 61% of the placements were considered neglect, which is based purely on social worker discretion, which basically translates to the freedom to do whatever the caseworker wants. What they see as neglect is often just what poverty looks like. Instead of getting help to parent, the parents get their child children taken. Now they do have a report, acf.hhs.gov forward slash sites forward slash default forward slash files forward slash cb Charlie, letter C, the letter B, forward slash CM2018.pdf. When we come back, I will continue reading this. And at some point in this episode, I'm going to get on the removals of children at the border. And you're going to be very shocked to hear that this is not something that started with the Trump administration. You may already know that, but we'll get to that soon enough. We'll be back. And we're back. Well, like I said before the break, 61% of the placements were considered neglect, which is based purely on social worker discretion. In June of 2018, the Children's Defense League and 540 organizations from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico, which have well-recognized expertise in the fields of child welfare, juvenile justice, and child health, 
development and safety reported that the separation of children from their parents will have significant and long-lasting consequences for the safety, health, development, and well-being of children. Oh, wow. What a surprise. What a surprise, huh, folks? 540 organizations from all 50 states are saying that. Taking children away from their families is traumatizing a form of systematic violence, and it's becoming normalized. Federal payments are tax dollars. Go to states to support the entire foster care system. Foster care and group home system. Apologize. Payments begin the moment a child is taken with bonuses for special needs such as medication. Then more bonuses to state agencies for termination of parental rights or adoption of children, even if parents are still fighting for custody in family court. The most recent estimates are that foster care in America is a $1,000 plus billion per year industry. Whoa. Folks, do you think you're in the wrong business? If CPS is making that much money, then you know that when they say, oh, we don't collect bonuses, you know that's a lie. But hey, we have to believe them, don't we? (laughs) How many of us are actually laughing about that one? Okay. Our goal is the preservation of the family through federal legal channels and the power of the people. We seek to stop the systematic government abuse in the National Child Protection Services, foster care and adoption system, and the current secret closed-door child protection court system, and instead establish independent privatized oversight with direct authority and accountability. Now, I like that. Because after all, they should have accountability. They should be accountable. And not just that we just take their word for it. How many of us are thinking that why should we take their word for it? It's not their children. They're not held accountable to anyone. Only to themselves. I thought they were supposed to be accountable to the people, to the government, but apparently the government, eh, they don't have to be accountable to them. I mean, after all, why should they? They're Child Protective Services. They are an entity unto themselves. You've heard what they've been doing in Indiana. They've done it across the country and around the world. But we are supposed to take their word that they're protecting our children. That they're doing in the best interest of the child or children. 419 years and we've been listening to that bullshit story. They don't know any better. They're just looking at those bonuses. If the current system were truly honest about helping children, it would have nothing to hide. 
caseworkers would be rejoicing and sharing their honest deeds with everyone. They would want the country to know what they were doing really was good and in the best interest of the children. Instead, the government hides behind closed doors, conducting their court proceedings in secret slash private hearings across America so that the citizens of this great nation are unaware that social services and the court system are permanently scarring children emotionally by terminating a parent right to their child forever without a jury trial and a closed court proceeding for a single judge. Remember, in 2018, just in Indiana alone, 10 appeals in six months of wrongful termination of parental rights. That's just in Indiana. I bet, and I'm going to actually look up how many wrongful terminations of parental rights across the country. And how many got appealed. And how many parents are actually with their children right now. Defendants in criminal courts have more rights than parents in family court. Children, even nursing newborns, are taken without evidence, warrants, or the ability of parents to face and challenge the accuser in court. Just think about this. A thief will get a jury trial for stealing something as small as a pack of chewing gum, but a parent will not get a jury trial when the state takes away their child forever. I have someone I know. She had her parental rights terminated. A family member of hers was taking care of the child. Well, guess what? They lied and said that the utilities were shut off, that the house was in disarray. Well, she says that she knows that that's a lie. I'm trying to help her get the paperwork so she can appeal because they terminate her parental rights without her knowledge. But then again, this is Indiana. Federal Title IV-E, unreimbursable Social Security funded payments to states, begin when the child is taken into state custody. States can demand child support from parents even while they fight to regain custody. Medicare provides funds for medicating taken children, including with psychotropic drugs. The men that uh, know all about this and the women, the mothers, know that this is true. I mean, after all, you're paying child support, but you can't see your child. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, well, let's gouge them for every penny we can get. We're going to make a whole bunch of money off of this child, which is nothing more, nothing less than a commodity that can be bought and sold. That is it. As soon as they adopt the child out, they're collecting those big bonuses up to $1 million. They can lie all they want. But why else are you seeing a CPS social worker driving a vehicle that you know good and well a social worker 
who maybe make about as much as a police officer, maybe a little more than that, and they drive a BMW. I've actually seen this. Isn't this nice? Child Protection Services in America does the opposite of protect. Instead, the agencies intentionally traumatize the children they are supposed to be protecting. The government has done a horrible job at protecting and raising our American children. That is, until now. Now I agree. I have given you the information. I've read exactly from different websites. I've told you where I get my information from. And you now know that you can check this information out. I've read different things just in Indiana, and I do apologize if you hearing this and saying, well, why just Indiana? Indiana is a good example of the corruption that CPS has been doing. Since they want to be the leader, well, guess what? I'm going to help them be that leader. Let them be at the front of the line when they are arrested. Let's let them do the perp walk. And I think a lot of you already know what the perp walk is. When we come back, I'm going to touch on a few stories. And I'll tell you right now, these stories are going to touch you. You may even identify with a lot of these stories. And in the end... Hopefully, when you go to the polls, you know that this is only the beginning. Let's run CPS out of business. We'll be back. And we're back. You know... I'm just going to say it. For 419 years, they've gotten away from it. Gotten away with everything. In the last 20 years, approximately $580 billion of our federal tax dollars have gone to funding government agencies that unethically, illegally, and unnecessarily separate hundreds of thousands of children and families every year often without any evidence of abuse or true neglect. For decades, the government has shown they are incapable of running or correcting a failed child protection and foster care system. Therefore, the current systems need to be abolished and replaced immediately. I mean, using Indiana again as an example. Look at that. They have a whole bunch of abuses. But hey, let's reward for the most adoptions. How many of those kids were actually taken illegally? And how much money did they make off of each child? If the most that's recorded is $1 million per child, they're making a killing. They're making more money than they should. And 
for people that are filing lawsuits, not just in Indiana, but other states. Sue them for as much as you can. Bankrupt them. And like they said here, the current systems need to be abolished and replaced immediately. That's what we have to do, and that's what we will do. Furthermore, the government puts the children into a horrible, antiquated, and utterly broken foster care system that promotes disparity and further traumatizes the children. This has been thoroughly documented in numerous independent reports over the course of the last three years. Nearly one-third of the children in foster care reported being abused by a foster parent or another adult in a foster home. That study didn't even include cases of foster children abusing each other. What's even worse, statistics suggest bleak futures for children who grow up in foster care. Therefore, as a society, we are failing our country's children. It's time to keep all families together and put children and families first. Federal lawsuits such as the one Federal lawsuits such as the one we filed in Minnesota could be filed in the remaining do apologize. Federal lawsuits such as the one we filed in Minnesota could be filed in the remaining states to stop the practices listed above once and for all. As you know, those lawsuits are happening. So we plan to pursue this litigation as far as necessary even to the U.S. Supreme Court to stop all of these unconstitutional practices by state and county agencies. While children need protecting from truly abusive situations that cause them harm, which I agree, the current system does not require this showing of harm to the ch child before removal from the family home. Because children's civil rights are being violated daily, the CPS practices need to be fixed immediately. That means that we have to ratify the 1966 civil and political rights, as well as the 1989 United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. But unfortunately, we have people in Washington that say, oh no, we got our own laws. Translation, we don't want to be held accountable. And we want CEPS to have free reign to do whatever they want. Now on talkpoverty.org, how Child Protective Services can trap the parents they're supposed to help. Now the author of this is Elizabeth Brico, B-R-I-C-O, dated July 16, 2019, last year. Now this is one of the stories. Now she has other stories about how they violate due process, things like that. But I will tell you right now, this whole story is her story. Okay, I woke to the sound of my three-year-old daughter crying. It was a hard, bitter cry. If you have young children, you know the one. It punches through the walls and triggers your heart into a frenzy. I sprang up, ready to run to her bedside. 
but as wakefulness returned, the sound faded. My daughter was not crying for me. She wasn't even there. She and her four-year-old sister were taken from my custody more than a year earlier by the state of Florida. In the United States, seven million children are reported to abuse hotlines each year. More than three million of those allegations trigger a child maltreatment investigation. But that's just the beginning of the story. Once a finding of child neglect has been made, parents have to try to correct the issue or issues that led to child protective involvement. Typically, that involves mandates for parents to undergo addiction treatment, find stable housing, secure employment, begin therapy or psychiatric care, and so on. Those that are listening know exactly what I am referring to. You know, the nice little classes they tell, tell you to take, that you ta- they take all these classes, and then they may even say, well, guess what? There's a problem, however. Taking all those steps and proving they're they've occurred can be a Byzantine process with hard deadlines, ignorant investigators, and unsympathetic judges who work against parents. For parents who are up against the clock set by the Adoption and Safe Families Act, which requires states to file for termination of parental rights if children have been separated from their parents for 15 out of the 22 most recent months. These delays can mean the difference between reunification or the permanent severance of a family. If you rely upon mainstream media to clue you in to the state of child rearing in the United States, you could be forgiven for believing that a typical child services case looks like a father throwing his toddler against a wall or a mother slipping some of her prescription methadone into her infant's bottle. But physical abuse cases compromise less than a quarter of substantiated maltreatment cases. Neglect accounts for the other three quarters. And in child welfare terms, neglect is a very wide umbrella. I don't think I have to tell anybody here in the United States or around the world how that sounds. You already know anything could be considered neglect. You have a little food in the house and you're about ready to go to the store and they pop up. All of a sudden you're neglectful. Or your child doesn't have the most recent Air Jordans. That's neglect. The most basic definition of child neglect is deprivation of something essential, such as food, appropriate clothing, housing, child care, or medical attention. Each state gets to refine the specific definitions of child neglect within that broad federal parameter, but they are they all generally leave the door open for child neglect to be defined as a lack of financial means or issues that can result simply from poor parental access to mental health or addiction treatment. So in other words, you're dead broke. You could even be on the streets. But guess what? You're a neglectful parent. 
Now, I could go further into her cage, which I will in the next episode. But when we return, I want to get on the one thing I did tell you, my faithful and loyal listeners. And it's the most important one in this election year. It's about immigration. And when I read you this, it's it's a story that no one's telling. Because when you have to tell it, the truth, it does not really give either side an advantage. Because, well, when we come back, you understand what I'm talking about. We'll be back. And we're back. Now, a Eliza Minoff, M-I-N-O-F-F, her article, Trump's immigration policy is part of a long U.S. history of ripping families apart. This is from December 14th, 2018. Now, hold on to your seats. Buckle up. Because we are about ready to hear something that the mainstream media, not even Fox News, will tell you. Four months after the Trump administration announced the end of its family separation policy, four-year-old Brayan, B-R-A-Y-A-N, from El Salvador, was torn from his father's arms by a Customs and Border Patrol CP. CBP officer after they crossed the border and requested asylum. When he described that moment, his father, Julio, broke down in tears. I failed him, Julio lamented. Everything I had done to be a good father was destroyed in an instant. Despite public statements to the contrary, there is mounting evidence that the administration is continuing to separate asylum-seeking families like Brayan and Julio's. President Donald Trump holds fast to the belief that family separation effectively deters families from Mexico and Central America from seeking refuge in the United States, despite evidence to the contrary. And immigration attorneys are reporting that the administration is taking advantage of a loophole in the federal federal court's injunction against separations. According to Niha Desai at the National Center for Youth Law, Border Patrol officers are using the pretext that children's safety is at risk to separate families. Quote, if the authorities had even the most spacious evidence that a parent was a gang member, anything they can come up with to say that the separation is for the health and welfare of the child, then they'll separate them. The Trump administration's decision to systematically separate children from their parents is, in its specifics, unprecedented. But family separation was enabled in the first place, and it continues today, because our immigration system, like other public systems, 
have been built to separate families, particularly families of color. Well, we already know they separate, you know, the government separates families, doesn't matter what country. The immigration system is one of three systems that routinely separate families in the United States. The criminal justice and child welfare systems are the other two. In the immigration and criminal justice systems, separation is most commonly an unconsidered, if not quite unintended, consequence of policy, as parents are incarcerated and sometimes deported without their children. In child welfare, separation is deliberate result of policy as children are removed from their parents' custody over concerns for their immediate safety. In each system, however, children are harmed by family separation. And in each system, children of color are more likely to be separated from their parents. I would like to say that this is not the case but in statistics don't lie. The information doesn't lie. But, you know, our government will say otherwise. The very first federal restriction on immigration resulted in family separations. In 1875, Congress barred Chinese involuntary laborers and suspected prostitutes from entering the United States. In practice, the law made it almost impossible for Chinese women to immigrate, including those who wished to join their husbands as government officials, quote, demonstrated a consistent unwillingness or inability to recognize women who were not prostitutes among all but the wealthy applicants for immigration. In the years that followed, an increasing number of laws excluded more Asians from the United States. Separations continued as part of this. At Angel Island, the notorious immigration station in San Francisco Bay, many Asian American families were separated for weeks at a time so that they could not coordinate their answers before they faced interrogation. Folks, what would it be if it was us? Well, what am I talking about? The CPS does it anyhow. By the mid-20th century, Latinx immigrants had become the subject of na- nativist air, and many Latinx families were separated as a result. During the Great Depression, Local and state governments colluded with social welfare agencies to encourage and sometimes coerce Mexicans, and in many cases, Mexican-Americans, to repatriate to Mexico. In other words, go back to Mexico. Two decades later, concern about rising undocumented immigration in the Southwest led to Operation Wetback a federal deportation drive that was once again focused almost exclusively on Mexicans. The legacy of this targeting of Latinx communities by immigration enforcement is visible today. 
Though immigrants from Latin America make up an estimated 77% of the unauthorized population in the United States, they have constituted well over 90% of immigrants removed by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, in recent years. 27,080 immigrants with U.S.-born children were deported in 2017. But I would like to remind people that under Barack Obama, he had even a higher number. This is documented. You can check it out online. I'm not disparaging the man. It is just a fact that he had the most deportations under his administration. It's just a policy that continues to this day. Like immigration enforcement, our system of mass incarceration mechanically separates families. Incarceration creates financial and emotional hardship for families by default. But there are additional ripple effects that can last long after release. According to an analysis of 3 million child welfare cases, parents who have a child placed in foster care because they are incarcerated are more likely to have their parental rights terminated than those who physically or sexually assault their kids. Those that have been incarcerated know this all too well. And it's not just me. Talk to anyone who's been incarcerated, including men, and how many times they got from protective services that their parental rights were terminated. Again, this falls disproportionately on children of color. Approximately 11.4% of African-American children have a parent in prison, compared to 3.5% of Hispanic children and 1.8% of white children. This disparate impact has been true for the history of the criminal justice system in the United States, and it has grown with the rise of mass incarceration since the 1970s. The child welfare system focused on removing poor children from their families, whether or not there were signs of abuse. Wow. I think we all know how that works. Families of color are also disproportionately separated by the child welfare system, which from the beginning saw its role as removing children from their families for their own protection. Originally, the child welfare system focused on removing poor children from their families, whether or not there were signs of abuse. As William Pryor Letchworth, a famous advocate of children's causes, declared in 1874, If you want to break up pauperism, you must transplant the child. Charities in New York Boston and other East Coast cities sent thousands of poor children on orphan trains to towns in the Midwest where they were assigned foster families. So in other words, (laughs) this has been going on for, like I said, 419 years. But it's only been a couple hundred years here in the United States. Folks, when we come back, I'm going to continue reading. Then I'm going to give you my thoughts on the election. But specifically, what we must do 
what all of us must do with these politicians, no matter if it's incumbent or a new one. We'll be back. We're back. Well, we're about ready to read. We'll probably not be a shock to many listening. As the child welfare system developed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, children of color were, for the most part, excluded from services. But other public institutions separated them from their families at a high rate. A Children's Bureau report observed that from 1750 to 1960, quote, the black child's chance of receiving care, a polite euphemism for being incarcerated from a correctional facility was still much greater than that of receiving any other type of care, unquote. Meanwhile, the United States undertook a concerted campaign to remove American Indian children from their families in order to facilitate their assimilation. Starting in 1879 and continuing well through the 20th century, children as young as five years old were packed off to boarding schools where they were prohibited from speaking their native languages and often from visiting home. Sound familiar, folks? When the formal child welfare system began to integrate following World War II, it continued to identify symptoms of poverty as grounds for removing children and separated American Indian and African American families as startling high rates. Starting in 1959, the Indian Adoption Project, part of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, BIA, larger effort to undermine tribal sovereignty and erase American Indian cultures, purposefully placed American Indians in white homes. Surveys in 1969 and 1974 documented that between 25 and 35% of all American Indian children were placed in foster or adoptive homes or institutions. During this period, child welfare scholars also began to document the high rates of removal of African-American children, a legacy that lives on despite attempts to address racial inequities. A 2014 study found that 4.9% of white children will experience foster care placement before their 18th birthday, compared to 15.4% of Native American children and 11% of black children. This history reveals that Julio and Barra, B-A-R-A-Y-A-M, Barayan are not alone, even under less openly racist administrations. Thousands of families are separated every year by public systems, and families of color are much more likely to suffer this fate. In order to ensure that families like Julio and Barayan can remain together, we need to transform these systems. And I agree. In the criminal justice and immigration systems, 
this means severely limiting incarceration and deportation, particularly of parents. In the child welfare system, this means increasing the services and supports available to families so that they can thrive together, as well as significantly raising the threshold to remove children from their homes. Children need their families in order to develop and flourish. As a nation, we cannot continue to tear children from their parents' arms. I agree 100% with that statement. We have torn families apart. It doesn't matter if it's CPS or immigration. Looks like apparently the two are not indistinguishable. Looks like obviously if you're poor, and especially if you're black, Hispanic, or Native American. Guess what? Oh, well, since they're poor, we're just going to use any excuse we want. Now, I'm not saying that white children are not taken. But when you can make money off of the children, no matter if they're black, white, Hispanic, Native American, this is why this election is so important. Now, it did not start in the Trump administration. It started a long time ago. It started in 1601 with England separating the poor and the immigrant children from their families. It just carried over to the United States. I thought we were leaving that country so we could start a whole new that we weren't going to do what England does. That Child Protection Services was not going to affect us. This episode, you've heard otherwise. What is Joe Biden going to do to correct this problem? Now remember, he had eight years to correct it. And before that, he was a senator from at least the 70s. What will he do? What can he do? What will he do? What can President Trump do right now to correct that? Will he ratify the 1966 UN agreement? Will he ratify the one in 1989? The rights of the child? Or are they going to continue pushing the family to the back burner? Unless, of course, it's an election year, then all of a sudden the family is important. Get out and vote. Learn. Find out what they've done for families. It doesn't matter from the president all the way down to your local city council. Find out what these people have done or will do for the family. In the end, it's your family that counts. Yes, jobs are important. Healthcare is important. I'm not going to take that away. Make sure that they follow through. If they're in now, make sure that things are done to help your family. But above all, are they going to reform CPS? Or are they just going to let it keep going as it always has? And then more families, such as yours and mine, have to sue 
parents have to sue to get their parental rights back. And here is a little something. Have them show you in the Bible where it says that a judge has a right to terminate your parental rights that God blessed you with. You were blessed with children. Ask them if they believe in God or whatever they believe in. Who gives them the right to say whose children they are? You bring them into this world. Don't let them take them. You've heard stories, people fighting. Well, I'll tell you, this has got to stop. I believe 2020 is a year of change. And that year of change, that change is at the polls and even after that. Don't fight because your candidate did not win. Fight because the government does not care. After all, they've had 419 years of experience. Is it about time that we change that? Let's change the script on them. Let's force them to go by our rules now. And number one is Child Protection Services is not a law enforcement agency. Don't ever let them forget that they are not a law enforcement agency. That they are actually an administrative agency. That also they will go by the actual rules that they wrote. But also go by the laws as they are written. And not ignore them like Indiana Department of Child Services has. You want to know how bad it is? Go to in.gov. G-O-V. Go Department of Child Services or just DCS. Read their policy and procedures. I'll guarantee you when you read them, it's going to read just like out of your state. And if it doesn't, it's coming to your state. Because other states are probably trying to do what Indiana is doing. Tell your governors, your attorney generals, your state representatives, state senators. You don't want that. Let CPS be accountable to the people and to the government. Not the other way around. Tuesday is election day. Let's have our voices heard loud and clear. Make CPS tremble in fear. In Indiana, let's let Terry Stickton know her job is over. Pack her bags. And if you're in a state that has a Terry Stickton, vote. If the governor is backing the DCS director or CPS director, then vote that governor out. If you have someone that doesn't care about the family or the family's safety or the family's welfare, then guess what? Vote their happy fucking asses out. And you vote someone in. Make it mean something. 
even after this election. You keep on them. They don't do something for the family. Say, yeah, I may have a job, but I care about my family. I work so my family has a roof over their head, food in their bellies, and clothes on their back. That they have health care. That they have an education. CPS has no business in my family. Make that above all else. Because this country is nothing without the family. This is David Shore for Corruption of Child Protective Services. And as I end, I will read again. This is on that covenant of 1966 concerning that in accordance with the principles proclaimed in the Charter of the United Nations, recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world.